0: I'd like to uh, ask you to join me, and we're going to read together from uh, Micah, uh, from actually from verse uh, 1 uh, in Micah uh, 6, uh, where it begins, listen to what the Lord says. So let's stand together and say all those words together. Okay, listen listen to what the Lord says stand up and plead my case before the mountains let the hills hear what you have to say hear you mountains the Lord's accusation listen you everlasting foundations of the earth for the Lord has a case against his people he is lodging a charge against Israel my people What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered." Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil, shall i offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul he has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god thanks please be seated Marty and I have a good friend, his name is Mark Dirksen, and uh, he actually served with me as an associate in uh, Winnipeg, and uh, uh, currently he is, uh, and later became lead pastor in the same church, and uh, currently he's a regional minister uh, for Manitoba and Saskatchewan with the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada. And uh, so we had a good time in uh, serving together and have maintained the friendship. And I can always count on my birthday that there will be a phone call from Mark and usually get to see him sometimes in Queen. Well, when we were together serving at uh, St. Vidal Baptist Church or Willow Lake Baptist Church, uh, their son, Micah, was a child. And uh, we have heard, uh, Recently, that he's actually quite tall. I was uh, noticing Travis and George that there's a bit of gap in father and son uh, height. And uh, Mark is only about six foot four, I think. But uh, Micah, we can remember his height by this text Micah 6 8. <laughs> quite tall. <laughs> Um, I would think he's about 20 years old No, I'm not, maybe he'll go further. (laughs) Um, Micah, he's one of the Old Testament prophets. He was a fierce champion of pure worship of the Lord and social justice. He catalogues in his epistle or his uh, prophet, his letter here, whatever you call it, his the um, book of Micah, he catalogs specific sins of both the northern and the southern kingdom. And uh, the sins that he goes after include idolatry, seizure of property, and the failure of leadership in civil and prophetic leadership and, and religious leadership. Also corrupt business practices, violence. And the belief that personal sacrifice satisfies divine justice. And so, what we read this morning, what's going on in it anyway, in that section of chapter six? Well, God has a controversy with his people. And he confronts them through the prophet Micah. And he confronts them in the style of a courtroom. And uh, I don't know about your Bible, but uh, mine actually, the heading is actually called God's Case against israel and uh, the section is like a like a courtroom and the lord presents his case against his people as a prosecutor and uh, you can uh, note how uh, how that comes through there he calls about having a case in verse two and uh, he's lodging a charge against israel and uh, the mountains and the rest of creation are invited to be the witnesses to this and so he begins by, begins his case by asking, has he been too hard on them? Has he burdened them? Has he mistreated them? Um, and if so, how? Has he required too much of them? It sounds a little bit like the conversation that a parent might have with, uh, with a child and saying, you know, <clears throat> when did you last help to pay the, for the mortgage? Or uh, the groceries and uh, he reminds them of his history in his dealings with them how he has been supporting them and in the many many ways in which he has shown them grace and mercy how he has been good to them he brought them out of the unbearable bondage in Egypt and uh, calls it uh, you know that he brought them out rescued them redeemed them out of Egypt Uh, Provided them with leaders that led them out Moses, Aaron, Miriam. He reminds them how he protected them along the way. And uh, a couple times he uses the word remember. Good word, remember your journey. That's part of their problem. They had forgotten. So God's argument is that he has blessed them, he has treated them with grace. He has been dealing with them as his own special people. And he even uses that expression. In spite of the way they have been carrying on, he still refers to them as my people. My people, verse 5. My people, remember. Um, But it's like they had forgotten. It's like they had forgotten his identity and their identity, forgot how he was their provider. The Redeemer, the one who had rescued them. They didn't take any initiative. And they have forgotten their identity as the ones who have received such grace from Him. And so they respond in verse 6, Well, what is it that we have to do? You know? And then they burst into barrage of questions. Questions intended to excuse their failures. But instead shows that they were unaware of the seriousness of the case against them so they're saying should we come to him with sacrifices maybe maybe we are to give you better sacrifices more sacrifices you know if he isn't pleased with my 10 percent, maybe i should give him 12 or 20 or 30 and or maybe it's the quality maybe i should am i supposed to give the supreme quality am i to you know the tragic kind of sacrifice of my firstborn you know and uh, we're not to think that they did that normally people of Israel, but there are a couple of cases, but that was a pagan rite, a pagan thing that happened in those kind of societies where they actually did child sacrifice. But it's like they have forgotten that he was their redeemer, that he rescued them out of their slavery in Egypt, and this independently of anything good that they had done and so they are his covenant people redeemed by grace and by that same covenant they've been called and they're continue being called to love him with their whole being and to love their neighbor as themselves now we're not to think that this is meant to say they shouldn't have a sacrificial system but these were to be Sacrifices were to be expressions of a heart of love and loyalty. Sacrifices were to be a way of honoring and thanking their Lord. Uh, Sacrifices can be a way of evading heart responsibility. Like, for example, when a dad is trying to buy the affections of his son or daughter to sort of compensate for his absence, during much of the time uh, sacrifices can be that it can be a way of evading but sacrifices were to be heart expressions psalm 54 6 and 7 i think shows us where sacrifices should come in says with a free will offering i will sacrifice to you i will give Thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Two expressions there that I think puts it in perspective. Free will offering. I do it because I want to do it. And I do it because it's a way of giving thanks. It's a way of expressing my gratitude to you and that is what was missing here god reminded them of his gracious kindness how he had rescued them but somehow they forgot the best kind of worship best kind of service is a thankful response to his grace it's almost like there's a a chain here with three links there's the Uh, the gracious dealings he's a God of grace and then as I respond to that I accept that grace I become grateful and out of my gratefulness I worship and I serve how then should his people who have been given so much respond it's true for them true for us today how Should we respond you know last week first Sunday of the year talked was in a text that talked about the purpose of uh, Paul's ministry which I think should be the purpose of every Christian leader really to somehow influence our people towards maturity in Christ and then we considered how that maturity in Christ would look like Christ we're in him we're going to increasingly look like him well here in the Old Testament we have a summary of what God's people are to be like and he says what does he mean what does he want well there's a threefold answer it's like a three luggage three-legged stool and I would say each leg is essential Together is what we are to be like. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. What does it all mean? Beginning with to act justly. And that is strict adherence to that which is equitable in all our dealings with people fairness and deference to those in weaker social positions there's a consistent pattern throughout the scriptures that those in a weaker position are to be treated fairly and i guess it's because they need that little extra because it doesn't go that way just naturally human sinful nature is such that the powerful tend to take advantage there's almost like there's a gravitational pull that if you are smarter, if you are stronger, if you're more powerful, oh, if you're not careful, you'll take advantage of those who are the weaker ones. But to act justly is to refuse this. And so in other places in, the, uh, in this uh, book, Micah, his people were expected to use honest weights fairness in all their dealings concerned about equity for the poor and disadvantaged. powerful not to take advantage of those who are not as powerful you know it hasn't really changed today also we live in a dark world of embezzling cheating fraud fudging and this darkness covers quite a spectrum of examples people defrauded of their savings, people padding their expense accounts, pilfering little things from work, withholding information on their tax returns. And I suggest that there is no sin that more drains credibility of our witness as Christ followers than money sins, money sins. But we are called, they were called, we are called to ask, to act justly. Complete fairness. Completely being above board and honest. But as the people of God, we are to be concerned not only about personally being pure in our own dealings, but think of it this way. If I truly love my neighbor... I'm also going to be concerned about the neighborhood that she has to live in. Uh, One example would be uh, safety concerns. Remember what happened in London not that many months ago, Tower of London, and the horrible tragedy of the many people who perished in the fire there. Safety regulations had not been followed. If I really care about my neighbor, then I'm going to care about the context in which he has to live in, too. And so acting justly is, yes, it's about making sure I act justly, but it's also being concerned about the setting around me that influences the well-being of my neighbor. One place where there's a specific call to, to do that very thing is Proverbs 31.8. And it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute clearly going beyond just my own you know that I'm not going to do anything wrong and I'm only going to be fair but concerned that fairness happen to other people as well as I move to the next one to love mercy theoretically it would be possible to do the first one to act justly to be fair in every every way and yet not be involved in mercy you know i can make sure that i support what is fair i promote what is fair but to love mercy goes a bit further uh it's treating people with mercy it's being generous where where that is what's needed it's a quality that is determined not to just avoid bad things happening to them, but determined to do good things for them. It's, uh, it's the, uh, to, to love mercy adds the spirit of generosity. We sang about compassion. Everyone needs compassion. Well, loving mercy is active compassion. Just like Jesus who was full of Compassion. Acting justly and loving mercy go well together. In acting justly, I would work at ensuring that others have what is rightfully theirs. I would never steal another man's shirt, and I would be careful not to let anyone else steal the man's shirt. But you see, if I add mercy to it, then I may very well be giving up my shirt for him because he needs it more than I do. It's that added dimension, loving mercy. And you know, when I think about how I would like to be remembered. Sure, I'd like to be remembered as someone who is just and fair. But not only that, I'd also like to be remembered as someone who acted positively, generously in grace and mercy towards others. And frankly, as followers of Jesus, we must do no less. Matthew 23, 23. uh, Jesus is saying, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Ah, faithful in sacrificing. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the other. You know, if the law requires you to give a tenth, you should have done that. But without neglecting the former. And someone else, another place too, uh, where uh, Jesus shows an example that we give mercy not just to the people who deserve it, or not just to our own kind of people, uh, but to people who perhaps don't deserve it. And uh, case in point is Matthew 9, where he is, uh, well, the background there is that he is just called Levi, who was a tax gatherer, to follow him, to become his disciple. And, uh, and so it's like Levi is celebrating the occasion and he has all his old cronies there. And Jesus is there enjoying the feast with him. And so he's, in fact, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Well, no surprise, the Pharisees are asking his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But then this text that talks about mercy. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. I think here is a very clear-cut case where mercy is something we offer to all kinds of people, even those who are not our kind of people, when they need it. And that's, uh, you know, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop with fellow believers or people that you naturally love. For Jesus applied it to those in need of the physician, acting justly, showing mercy. Isaiah 58 reinforces the emphasis of both of them. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and untie cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? I didn't realize until I saw this uh, yesterday, I guess, uh, <laughs> how that uh, the give the, my little uh, analogy of giving up my own shirt is a little closer to Scripture than I realized. When you see the naked to clothe him, that can be part of, of mercy. But that's what he's concerned about. You know, mercy, mercy. And again, here he's talking, God doesn't particularly care about sacrifices. not saying they shouldn't sacrifice, but that isn't the, that isn't the focus. That's not the main thing. Well, that's mercy. Well, in New Testament, James, who so clearly teaches, he highlights the principle that authentic faith must be backed up by a lifestyle. And he says that faith without works, and he means behavior. Faith without works is dead. And then verse 27 of chapter 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What does the Lord require? Not just religious ritual, but number one, to act justly, number two, to love mercy, and then finally to walk humbly, he says, with your God. These three together... (laughs) They are, like I said, the three-legged stool. And every one of them is essential. And these three together are the basis of an integrated kind of a life. A life that coheres together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the key is to, to walk with the Lord, to walk humbly with your God. Well, you know, there are those Around us who do social justice but they don't seem to be concerned about walking with their God and then there are others I sense who are very committed to walking with the Lord uh, scrupulous about things related to church and religion and yet I wonder if they aren't deficient in these other two you know very much about me and my relationship with the lord and one another within the church but not really looking outward beyond that see it's possible to be so we used to say so spiritual minded that you're or heavenly minded that you're no earthly good i prefer to kind of change the picture a little bit it's possible to be so tuned inward to your own spirituality that you're oblivious of the needs around you. I like what Gary Thomas says about in his book called Authentic Faith. Quite a title, quite a significant title, Authentic Faith. And he says, our attitude to God is defined by our actions towards the less fortunate. Religious duty, apart from concern for the poor, is entirely unacceptable in God's mind you think those words are too strong I don't I don't think so there's such a pattern in scripture about that very thing He goes on to say we can have perfect church attendance we can set records for fasting have the longest quiet times listen to the most sermons and praise tapes of anyone in our circle of friends and avoid scandalous sin But if we are missing this part of our religious obligation, namely social mercy, we are missing God entirely. And again, maybe those words are too strong. I'm not going to say that people like that aren't even saved. I I would never say that. but, But he's right in terms of God's call. There's no question about it. That God calls us to be those kind of people who care about the unfortunate. Don Pestursky offers, I think, a very relevant imagery here. He says, the picture Jesus paints for his disciples is to live life with one hand clasped in the hand of God and the other reaching out to serve the needs of others. I think that's correct. God is gracious to us. God is generous to us. And when He blesses us, it's not meant to just bless us. It's meant to overflow so that we become a blessing to others. And the call of the gospel then is not only to receive Jesus into my life, but to join Him in His life. That is to accept His invitation to follow Him, to participate with Him in demonstrating what His kingdom looks like. Acting in mercy, And kindness grace towards others and then as it says living in humility under the lordship of Jesus Christ to walk humbly with God a diligent commitment under his authority dependent on him practicing close fellowship with the Lord in humble piety Humility realizing and adjusting to our dependence on the Lord. Humility is the attitude that recognizes that I need his forgiveness and grace too. I mentioned in the the, uh, funeral for my friend and cousin Ivan the other day that uh, what he would especially want out of his legacy is the, the Christian part. That people would... Benefit by his faith, but I was careful to also say it didn't mean that he wanted uh, Everybody to follow him like him because he wasn't perfect and part of the modeling is I need grace too And that's part of it here walking humbly with God is to realize that I continually need his grace and forgiveness and There's no sin that distances us from God more than the opposite of humility, which is pride Peter, quoting Proverbs, says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. <laughs> opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now the word translated humility is not a common word for humility, and it's actually quite obscure. There's only one other case in the Bible where it's used in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so in our NIV, there is a footnote that it might actually mean prudently, uh, circumspect, walking in a prudent way, in a circumspect way before the Lord. And uh, that would mean a reflective way, thinking carefully about what you're doing here. And you know what? That could actually be an answer to a lot of spiritual blindness. You know, you're taking this position and you assume it's the right one, but are you really reflecting upon it? It could be that there's need for correction. And related to the text we're talking about, it seems that the people of Israel were not really reflecting upon all that God had done for them. And he was calling them here to remember. (laughs) Remember how I have dealt with you. Remember this, remember that, remember that. And you've strayed from the covenant. Well, as I move to conclusion, we are living at a time in Canada where many of the things that we stand for are being challenged. And the unofficial secular religion, you know, you talk about secular values and they may not want to admit that it's a religion too. And that unofficial religion of the day out there today is that everyone should have the right to live as they please as long as they don't directly harm anyone else. And in such a context, it's not popular to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are under his authority, not exactly popular. In a fairly recent book, I think this book was written in uh, uh, the year 2014, Philip Yancey says... Nowadays, the principle of tolerance rules above all others. You may have noticed that. The big, high lined value, the foundational value today in secular religion seems to be tolerance, tolerance. Um, Combine that, he says, uh, above all, uh, excuse me, normally the principle of tolerance rules above all others and any religion that claims a corner on truth is suspect. Combine that with Christian's reputation for judging others' behavior and no wonder opposition heeds up. As one critic remarked, most people I meet assume that Christian means very conservative, entrenched in their thinking, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, violent, illogical, umpire builder empire builders they want to convert everyone and they generally cannot love leave, live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe and he says Jesus never commanded us to score well in opinion polls but as I'm all over the list of words people use to describe Christians I wonder how we can act as salt and yeast within a society that views us so negatively. Now I want to say that obviously this was one critic's opinion. Yancey quoted one person here. And the setting was the US. I think we're different in Canada. But those explanations doesn't mean that a large percentage of people see us to some extent in that way. And it's probably true in the minds of many that the very word evangelical conjures ideas in their mind of those are people who are, well, they're against this, they're against that, they're against that. I think in many cases we're known better for what we are against than for what we are for. How can we be salt and light in a society like that? I suggest partly by the very things this Old Testament summary of what the Lord requires. I think partly by becoming known as people who are here to promote fairness, justice for all, even for those who are against us. Fairness, justice for all peoples not just for us, not just for Christians, but fairness for people of other religions, fairness for atheists, people who are our enemies, to act justly. And then people who become better known as agents of mercy, again to all people, even even those who don't agree with us. Merciful to all kinds of people. And then somehow people who are firm in their stand that the exalted, risen Lord is the one who we bow to. He is our authority. Becoming increasingly this type of a person. What does the Lord require of you to act justly? To love mercy and walk humbly with your God maybe it's not so difficult if we really commit ourselves to that and in all of that being under the Lordship of Jesus Christ let's pray father once again we are called upon to be a special kind of people we're called upon to be light in the context of darkness, to be salt, to be yeast in our respective worlds. We pray that we might reflect carefully as we make decisions day by day so that increasingly we will be those kinds of people. And so help us, Father, in our pursuit to follow Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.